From Troy Public Radio, this is In Focus, and I'm Carolyn Hutchison. On Labor Day, many folks celebrate with barbecue and music. Barbecue historian Jim Ockmoody joins us by Skype from Atlanta with a story about Elvis and his favorite Memphis barbecue joint. Jim is the author of the book Smoke Lore, A Short History of Barbecue in America. Jim, welcome back to Troy Public Radio. Thank you, Carolyn. It's good to be back. Today, of course, is Labor Day, and I have your book in front of me, which is a terrific read, Smoke Lore, A Short History of Barbecue in America. Jim, you're descended from a long line of pitmasters, and in your book, you have a quote from John Shelton Reed that says, if it's not cooked with wood, it's not barbecue. What do you think? Well, I agree with John, and I think most true barbecue people would agree that it's not really barbecue unless it's cooked slowly over in direct heat with a lot of wood flavor, uh, smoke flavoring in it. Now, this is kind of a controversial thing because as barbecue has become much more popular all around the country, there are a lot of people who use the word to describe things that Southerners probably wouldn't strictly regard as barbecue, like grilling. The same thing has happened to barbecue that happened to, say, the word rock and roll. Rock and roll used to mean a very specific type of music, and as it became more and more popular, it sucked in all these related concepts, and now all sorts of things that weren't originally rock and roll are considered kind of rock and roll, and barbecue is the same way. Since you mentioned rock and roll, Elvis Presley is in your book. And he apparently became a late-night customer at a special barbecue joint in Memphis. So what can you tell us about Memphis barbecue? And, of course, he had to go late night so he wouldn't be recognized. One of the first great barbecue drive-ins in America was a place on the south side of Memphis, very close to where Graceland was, which is why Elvis knew about it, called Leonard's. And they arguably invented the barbecue sandwich. They at least really popularized it. And, you know, in Memphis, a barbecue sandwich usually has coleslaw on it, and there's a bun. They're really, really good. And Elvis, having spent his later formative years in Memphis and then living there the rest of his life, he loved Leonard's. And he used to have private parties at Leonard's late at night. He'd have him keep the restaurant open for him, and he'd bring his pals over there, and they would have a basically a barbecue party until they even had to stop doing that because people figured out that if the lights were still on at uh, Leonard's at midnight, it probably meant Elvis was coming by. And crowds would gather, and I think it got to where they had to come and get the stuff and take it back to Graceland. So there was a two- or three-year period there where he would have these late-night barbecue parties at Leonard's. So, Jim, what was it about Memphis? You talk about this in your book. Something about Memphis gave rise to barbecue joints, joints that would flourish in Kansas City, St. Louis, Chicago. When barbecue restaurants started becoming a thing after 1900 or so, they were popping up in cities all over the place. I mean, there were two barbecue restaurants in downtown Atlanta after 1900. But Memphis became particularly associated with them. They had one of the definitive early drive-ins, Leonard's, and a whole bunch of other barbecue places, and they really specialized in doing barbecue sandwiches. 
you know, every city had barbecue restaurants, but there were certain cities that became particularly associated with them. Memphis was one of them. Kansas City was one of them, which incidentally, their barbecue scene really started because a cook by the name of Henry Perry, who was from Memphis, ended up relocating to Kansas City. He brought Memphis barbecue there, and it mingled with some of the traditions they already had that had to do with cooking beef out. On the south side of Chicago, it's all the uh, African-American Southerners who moved up there from uh, Mississippi and, and other parts down the Mississippi Delta. And they brought their barbecue ways up there. And the urban rib shack really became a thing in Chicago after World War II. And it was largely because of these transplanted Southerners. Really, any place that Southerners, black and white, were living in large numbers, whether it was in the South or whether it was expatriates living in other cities up north or out west or in the Northeast, they would open barbecue places. You have an interesting chapter on barbecue sauce. I love this quote in your book. If you want to appear knowledgeable, request that the sauce be served on the side, and they'll think you're a certified contest judge. But you have a bit of etiquette advice. Don't ask for the recipe. Hmm. A lot of very knowledgeable barbecue people sort of go out of their way to let you know that they don't think sauce is all that necessary. They seem to regard it as steak connoisseurs do putting A1 sauce on a steak. The difference is that despite that attitude, barbecue sauce is a hugely important part of barbecue culture and barbecue lore. It's been around since the beginning. People were making sauces to put on pigs and sides of beef and all that they were cooking like in the 1700s. Now, the sauces back then weren't things that we would recognize now. They were much more akin to the tomatoless vinegar sauce that they use in a lot of the Carolinas. Uh, they were more of a basting sauce. The finishing sauces that we associate with barbecue now, which you know they're going to be red sauces that typically are sweeter, those didn't really become popular until the 1900s. As barbecue spread around the country, sauce became a big thing. I mean, you know, you start having all these commercial bottled barbecue sauces popping up after World War II, and it got to where this tangy, sweet, red barbecue sauce, the very flavor of that became its own thing to the extent that a lot of people think barbecue is more about that sauce taste than it is around about smoke. A lot of your listeners may be fans of the History Channel on television, and as I've heard, you may be making an appearance. Yes, they called me uh, recently and had me fly up to New York to tape a pretty extensive interview about the history of barbecue and about the history of backyard cooking for a series that airs on the History Channel. And then they asked me not to say anything else about it. <laughs> so it, it was a very interesting experience. They were very well prepared, asked good questions, and I enjoyed it. Well, let me congratulate you about that. We're running short of time, and can we talk again about sauce and go into that a little bit more? Of course we can do that, sure. And later, we need to talk about Alabama white sauce, Kentucky black sauce, Carolina gold sauce. There's a lot to talk about. And Georgia yellow sauce. Jim, I want to leave the listeners with this thought from your book. You said there's a, a recipe that's been used. It's called Scott sauce since 1917 in Goldsboro, North Carolina. And the owner, Adam Scott, said the recipe came to him in a dream. Oh, a bunch of people have said that their sauce came to him in a dream. I mean, the most famous example there in Alabama is Big Daddy John Bishop 
at Dreamland in Tuscaloosa. That name alludes to the fact that he says that his idea for his sauce and for opening that restaurant came to him in a dream in 1958. He told me that story personally before he passed away. So that's a pretty common thing, barbecue people saying that they had visions from God and therefore did what they did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, your book, Smoke Lore, A Short History of Barbecue in America, is a treasure trove. And I want to take a moment to wish you and the listeners a happy Labor Day and thank you and them for all their labor. Thank you, Carolyn. Happy Labor Day, everyone. Joining us by Skype from Atlanta was pitmaster Jim Ockmoody, author of the book Smoke Lore, A Short History of Barbecue in America. Have a safe and happy Labor Day, and thanks for joining us for In Focus, which is now a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Carolyn Hutchison, and this is listener-supported Troy Public Radio.